This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus, ASSP's premier hybrid education event. Join us for Safety Focus February 12th through the 16th, 2024 in Irvine, California, and online February 19th through the 23rd to gain in-depth training on important safety topics and collaborate with expert instructors and fellow safety professionals on real-world challenges. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today, and happy 2024. Hope everyone's uh, new year is off to a good start. And we're very excited to be uh, kicking off the new year with a conversation about industrial hygiene, the importance of addressing environmental hazards in your workplace and how you can go about doing that. And uh, my guest today has a lot of experience in that field that he's going to be sharing with us today. I'm uh, very happy to welcome to the show EHS Division Manager at Leaf Environmental LLC. Stephen Paternostro. Stephen, great to have you on the show. Scott, thank you so much. I'm glad that we were able to get in touch, and I'm happy to be here both speaking to you and to the entire American Society of Safety Professionals audience. Glad to have you. Uh, excited for uh, today's conversation. And uh, before we dive into the specifics about you know addressing industrial hygiene and environmental hazards in the workplace, I thought we could start by just kind of talking a little bit about yourself, sharing sharing your story, how you came into the field of industrial hygiene, and you know some of the experiences you've had. Sure, I, I'd love to start there. I actually had kind of a an interesting dive into into industrial hygiene. Before my work as an industrial hygienist, I did everything from manual labor, uh, including storm demolition, roofing, various construction projects. I worked in more restaurants than I could probably count on two hands over the years. I actually went to undergrad uh, to be a physical therapist. And during my internships, multiple internships, I basically realized that it just really wasn't the field for me. So Following, you know, graduating from undergrad, uh, I decided to pursue some additional ventures. Um, I actually worked as a workman's comp adjuster briefly and also tried to start a business, uh, moved to Miami for a brief period. And it, it kind of resulted in some, some very varied and interesting experience, but didn't really get me on a path to, to where I am now until actually the, the British Petroleum oil spill, which impacted the Gulf Coast both in my home state of Louisiana and also, yeah, for the entirety of the Gulf South. So at the time, basically, I was working as a workman's compensation adjuster and decided that I wanted to volunteer to assist in environmental remediation projects. I started working there, doing a lot of logistics uh, for a contract group that was responsible for actually remediating oil sheen and oil off of the barrier islands south of Louisiana. Somewhere in that process, I ended up becoming the shift foreman for the labor crew that I was working with and also was kind of knighted as the safety representative simply because I was one of the few people who, who had a bachelor's degree at the time. Now, that was, of course, a very interesting experience. And I was put in uh, you know, a position where I was able to learn a lot 
they were offering a, a substantial amount of infield training because, you know, in that situation, it was almost all hands on deck to, to, to really help out. And in that process, my labor crew, my remediation crew ended up being the subject of an industrial hygiene exposure assessment for volatile organic compounds. And at the time I had never even thought about occupation exposure, respiratory protection and things like that, other than what was being, you know, passed down the the pipeline from BP and their consultants to provide us with direction on what PPE to wear, what respiratory protection to wear, et cetera. So in addition to, you know, focusing on a very pertinent safety and, and industrial hygiene uh, relevant topics like heat stress, heat strain, and chemical ex dermal exposures and all of that, you know, seeing someone actually come out and monitor the people that I was responsible for while we were performing our tasks and take that information back and make adjustments and make decisions associated with the data. Yeah, just seeing that done in real time for the first time was something that really interested me. And during that experience, I, I ended up asking the um, woman who was doing the infield monitoring, you know, just a little bit more about it and spent some time that evening researching online. Basically, you know, at that time, Googling industrial hygiene didn't didn't come up with too much information, except that to me at the time, it seemed like almost detective work. You know, it was like an opportunity to consider what the big picture problems were and then go out and collect data that can be used to make decisions that impact worker health. Honestly, I, I can recall sitting on my computer in Cocotry, Louisiana, which if you look at a map of Louisiana, it's one of the furthest points down south that you can drive to. And, uh, but yeah, sitting on my computer and just realizing like that was, you know, kind of my aha moment. This is a field where I feel like I could be challenged in different ways, not get bored in the ways that I were in some of my previous, you know, jobs that I'd had leading up to this point. And I actually applied to graduate school um, at that time. And, you know, I, I was right, you know, as, as a consultant in industrial hygiene, which is what I've done my entire career since graduate school, I really have been able to see just so many different industries have so many different experiences that has really kept me motivated by allowing me to learn just from different people, different individuals, different occupational health and safety programs. And yeah, it was, you know, kind of one of the, it was really the earliest defining moment of my career. Uh, following graduate school, I started working as an industrial hygiene technician, uh, eventually became a specialist. Um, I was nested as an industrial hygiene contract support to an ExxonMobil facility for a number of years. And then after that experience, started managing projects for a consulting company before becoming the industrial hygiene division manager, also accepting responsibilities as, uh, as an environmental division manager, becoming an environmental health and safety director in a consulting role. And then, you know, now leading to where I am now, which is, you know, my title is environmental health and safety division manager. I'm primarily responsible for industrial hygiene consulting, but I also have responsibilities for environmental engineering consulting work and also other safety related uh, projects as well. So it's been, it's been quite a journey. It's interesting. You mentioned there about, you know, during your, your coming up into the field of you know, Googling industrial hygiene, I've done uh, some of that myself in the past. I know we may have some folks out there, you know, it's here, the term industrial hygiene. I, I wonder if we could spend some time, you know, 
what, what exactly we, we mean by that and how, you know, you can go about improving the industrial hygiene at your, at your work sites. Yeah. So I actually, um, I don't have it perfectly committed to memory right now, but my favorite, and I think the most widely referenced definition of industrial hygiene is the science and art devoted to the anticipation, recognition, evaluation, and control of those environmental factors or stresses arising in or from the workplace, which may cause sickness, impaired health and well-being, or significant discomfort among workers or among the citizens of the community. And before, yeah, before I take any credit in, uh, in establishing that definition, uh, that is from OSHA's Office of Training and Education. However, over the years, you know, since, since reading that long-winded definition, I do think it's actually pretty well defined. And, and industrial hygiene is such a broad field that it is difficult to find you know, information about what IH really is. So for me to take a stab at it, I, I would say that in addition to the OSHA Office of Training and Education's definition of industrial hygiene, really what industrial hygiene is, is using data to help organizations make decisions about what actual occupational exposures are. Very often in environmental, occupational health and safety, we're making decisions based on the worst case scenario for occupational exposures. So when safety personnel are making decisions about different PPE to wear, different work practices to avoid, different engineering controls, and of course, overall, the, the hierarchy of controls, they're being made off of what we think the potential exposure might be, where as an industrial hygienist, someone who, is, who practices industrial hygiene will come in and make determinations on how to collect data to determine what that exposure really is. Now, there's another component of statistics and risk management that I probably won't touch on, you know, too much right now to where we will also extrapolate from that data. You know, certainly it's impossible to collect respiratory data from every welder performing every weld in every product on everything. But what we can do is we can collect a statistically significant amount of exposure data and extrapolate that to help make decisions, you know, help make decisions that, that will impact worker health and safety. Taking a, a step further from that, and that, that was that was a, a great a great overview. Uh, you touched on some uh, at the beginning, but you know what? What are some you know specific environmental hazards in different working environments that you've seen, and how can you collect that data to know what the exposure risks are, so then you can go about addressing those? Sure. I mean, there there are a number of occupational hazards that are found in every industry. Um, of course, there are industry-specific hazards that can be that can be monitored. I did mention that I, I have uh, broad experience in a number of different industries. Uh, I really cut my teeth in the petrochemical and chemical manufacturing industry. And I'm really grateful for that experience, having been, you know, my in intro to industrial hygiene, where I was first mentored as an industrial hygienist, because in petrochemical, there are so many potential occupational exposures. Now, across almost every industry, there are concerns associated with noise, associated with heat stress, potentially associated with ergonomic concerns, both ergonomics as we consider it in the office and also in the field. And in petrochemical, 
Of course, we also have the potential for chemical exposures to volatile organic compounds. Hydrogen sulfide is, a, is another common one with acute concerns. Uh, metal dusts associated with fabrication, welding, et cetera. And then some even more, I guess, involved concerns associated with industry-specific chemicals or, or you know, site-specific chemicals, process-specific chemicals. In addition to all of those chemical exposures, there's a potential for exposure to naturally occurring radioactive material, uh, radiation sources associated with both gauging and also non-destructive testing. Then, of course, in addition to you know general office ergonomics, there's added ergonomics associated with working in process systems that were, you know, of course, designed by engineers, process engineers to facilitate a chemical process where we're retrofitting human interactions with them. So turning giant valves and reaching under things to collect samples. These processes weren't necessarily built, many of them weren't necessarily built with the operator in mind. Uh, in addition to that, you know, there's challenges associated with heat stress and heat strain. But in addition to that, long hours associated with individuals' fatigue and stress management, and also working you know, a 12-hour shift in a, an operator shelter can also be a taxing experience as well, you know, on nights, weekends, and everything else too. So uh, with petrochemical, you know, there's so many different things that, that can be potential occupational hazards. So in, in petrochemical, I think that I've really gained the bulk of my experience and, and have really understood how to develop processes and programs and procedures from the corporate level for petrochemical clients and put those processes in practice in a way that has allowed me to apply that experience to other industries. So I've been able to work in, uh, like one interesting one I, I think at least is working in film. You know, if you go work on a production set for film, the individuals who are there aren't necessarily operating with the same tried and true you know, 40 years of development industrial hygiene program. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns. I've had the opportunity to apply some of the knowledge and experience that I've had dealing with hazardous building materials in petrochemical to the film industry, for example, where building a film set, there may be impact to asbestos containing materials, lead containing paints and everything, because, you know, we're trying to set up a harness so that we can make it look like one of our actors is is flying or something like that but in the process we're you know we're drilling through something that is potentially exposing film production personnel to hazardous materials and it's just been really interesting to to go out and you know use the knowledge that I've gained in petrochemical in other industries such as the film industry I've done a decent amount of work in aerospace manufacturing that's interesting for a number of different reasons. At the base level, a lot of the work that's being done is similar and relevant to what's happening in petrochemical or in construction and in other manufacturing, but it's being done at majorly different scales and with different technologies to where often some things are slightly more automated than they are in petrochemical, which of course is great because it does reduce the potential for personnel to be exposed to the chemicals. However, there's less data to reference to know if people are being exposed when you're 3D printing a rocket or something like that. 
so that that you know it really gets interesting and then there's some some challenges there too because you know a lot of the nasa sites well not a lot all of them have their own internal standards that either meet generally meet or exceed what osha is requiring the other thing too is i mean i've done a decent amount of work in transportation so in like mining operations as well and tunnels you're working in an environment where the potentially hazardous processes are not being ventilated in the same way as they would if you're working above the ground. And then similarly, kind of one of the things that's often overlooked in industrial hygiene programs is in a mine or in a tunnel, you're also not working with the sun. And so all of the light there is uh, artificial and introduced, and uh, that opens up other opportunities for potential concerns. Going back to the the data and the sampling, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that part of the process. I know to your point just there, it can depend on the different working environments. I'm speaking generally, you know, the role that data collection plays to give you, you know, an idea of what you're dealing with so then you can go about addressing those hazards and mitigating those risks. That's a great question. I think that one of the biggest challenges as an industrial hygienist as working as a consulting industrial hygienist and also in intimately understanding the challenges that many of my colleagues and clients who are staff industrial hygienists are dealing with is that industrial hygiene is usually not considered until the hazardous process is about to occur. One of my earliest mentors, he used to tell me, I'd be going out in the field to do some industrial hygiene monitoring, and he'd tell me, they don't know that they need to call industrial hygiene until they know they need to call industrial hygiene. And I used to think about that and, you know, I thought it was kind of a silly thing to say, but the reality is, is he was right. It always turned into, hey, we're doing this thing tomorrow and we need to know if the right, if we're using the right PPE. At that phase, at the, at the, we're doing this tomorrow morning it's really hard to make decisions that are both cost effective and also considerate of the other processes that are involved in that construction or in that you know work application or that catalyst change out or in whatever whatever it is so i think you know kind of an ideal situation as either a staff or consulting industrial hygienist is to take a few steps back and consider the overall program policy and procedure that's involved at your site by performing a gap assessment or a qualitative risk assessment. And so what I mean by that is it's basically evaluating any existing data that your facility or your organization may have, considering how much of that data is still relevant to the work process today, involving the supervision and safety personnel at each facility location, et cetera, and making a plan, a strategic plan for how you'd like to go about collecting appropriate and relevant data going forward. So what that usually looks like in my experience, at least, is to run statistics on existing data, fill in the gaps in your data set, determine if certain processes that are in your, that are certain routine processes are adversely, potentially adversely impacting your employees, go out and 
collect that additional data, make decisions associated with respiratory protection or dermal protection, et cetera. And then from that, move into your overall sampling plan and make changes to your process. Now, that's often challenging because most of the groups that I work with, they've had some sort of industrial hygiene presence over the course of the last 20, 30, 40, however many years their systems have been in place. And they get into a routine of just redoing what was done previously. But hitting pause and really, really kind of taking a step back to think about the why. What is the purpose of all this? If we collect six data points on this one process 10 years in a row, and they're all telling us the same thing, well, let's make the decision, move forward and, and, and utilize our resources elsewhere. I think also too, just to add on to that, I kind of want to highlight, you know, there are some reasons for having a robust, comprehensive, and well-thought-out industrial hygiene program. You know, obviously there's the direct impact, which is reducing occupational illness and injury, which of course also reduces absenteeism, decreases medical costs, lowers the potential for uh, legal consequences, um, not only because you need to adhere to the regulatory requirements set by OSHA, but also legal consequences associated with potential long-term chronic health conditions that could be linked back to your process or even acute problems associated with improper personal protective equipment or improper ventilation or other, you know, workplace controls. And then in addition to that, you know, hearing employee concerns and actually taking action increases employee satisfaction and productivity. You know, providing that safe work environment isn't just making sure that you're providing the right cut protecting gloves. It's also ensuring that your personnel don't feel like they're breathing in something that could potentially harm them. You know, obviously with all of that, there's a lot of long-term exposures that really aren't considered until the attorneys call. And, you know, one of the main things that I, I try and really instill in clients and also colleagues is trying to help people be more proactive about industrial hygiene. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges, like I alluded to, just treating it retroactively being responsive as opposed to proactive will result in higher overall costs in the long run. You gave some some great examples there, you know, how people can go, go about addressing this, be more proactive. And I know this is something you've uh, given a lot of talks about. And just as we've discussed, you know, some people just aren't as familiar with industrial hygiene and, you know, getting it more to the forefront. I wonder, you know, what, what are some of, you know, the most frequent questions you get from those you've spoken to about industrial hygiene and how they can, you know, improve their programs. Absolutely. I'd say that there's two that are probably the most common. Um, one is this will be often from contract groups. It'll be, Hey, my client is requiring me to show that the PPE I'm using is adequate. And so that's usually a pretty easy project. We can come out, collect some data on the first few days of that process and help them make decisions and respond back to, you know, to their client or, or sometimes to the, regu the regulatory body that's associated with it to show that either they are adequately protected, you know, with the half face respirator, for example, that they plan to use or not, that they need to bump it up. That's a pretty common one. 
Another very common one is, hey, uh, we're spending, you know, $120,000 a year doing all of this industrial hygiene sampling, but we don't really know why. And I get that question very often from, you know, EHS managers who come into a new role and are trying to determine, trying to get a feel for what their program is, and it looks different from what they're used to. And so that's often where I'll usually try to come in and do like a gap assessment to help them make those decisions. It's very easy for people to get into the habit of just continuing to do what they've done in the past and not reconsider it. That's a very common one. And then I would say that uh, something that I'm actually overall happy to see as kind of a change in, in the requests that I get is actually an increase in requests for surveys, like field surveys for noise exposure, for illumination levels, for norm, ventilation engineering verifications, um, lab hood verifications. In general, like actually going out and collecting data associated with the actual work environment. That, although it's not the only proactive way to, to consider what hazards your work processes are potentially contributing to your overall worker health, but it is more proactive than responding to a threshold shift in someone's hearing or responding to an accident because lighting may have been insufficient. It's at least going out and, and allowing the industrial hygiene team to identify the problems, potential problems before they become real problems. So I will say I've been happy that those requests in my, my experience seem to be on the rise. I love what you just said there, you know, looking at the potential problems before they become real problems. Cause that, you know, like that's what, so much of the work of, you know, industrial hygienists and safety professionals is all about, you know, what can we do about this to prevent the risk, address the hazard before it occurs? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, the kind of the opposite of that is, you know, one of the other calls I get is like I'd mentioned before, this process that we've been planning for the last three years is happening tomorrow and we need some help determining if our personnel are going to be adversely impacted and unfortunately you know it is a part of uh, as a consultant it is a part of the field and i know that myself and also my colleagues and clients who are staff industrial hygienists try our best to respond to those types of calls however again i, I can't reiterate enough you know, if you can call your IH as early on in the planning phase as possible, the sting from the impact to your budget, if you plan it early on, is much less than if you're planning it the night before. Absolutely. Important for everybody to, to keep that in mind. Uh, uh, anything uh, else you'd like to, to add about industrial hygiene and uh, addressing these kind of hazards as, as we wrap up? There's one thing I'd like to add, uh, which is that I think that it's important for safety professionals uh, across the board, even if they don't desire to eventually, you know, go out and pursue becoming a certified industrial hygienist or really managing the industrial hygiene program completely on their own. Uh, I think it's important to at least understand industrial hygiene enough to where you feel comfortable making decisions on if you need to call industrial hygiene. I actually am the president of my local American Industrial Hygiene Association. And we do try and do some joint meetings with our regional ASSP chapter, which is the Baton Rouge chapter. 
Uh, in fact, it's in a few weeks. I'm very excited about that. But what I love seeing is going out to, you know, our smaller group of industrial hygienists that meet, you know, every couple of months, joining up with the larger ASSP and having an opportunity to really share a forum outside of the workplace, um, often anonymously. And so I guess the one recommendation I would have is, you know, considering looking for your local AIHA chapter, considering at least seeing what topics are being presented, uh, seeing if it's something you could be involved in. Not that, again, you need to go out and become a CIH or anything like that, but that information is going to benefit you somewhere along the line. Absolutely. And to your point, just that this is uh, something that safety professionals need to be familiar with, even if they're not you know, thinking about going down the career path, uh, that's, you know, these are hazards that need to be addressed and industrial hygienists can help you do that. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, Stephen. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I know you've given our listeners a lot of great things to think about. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate you for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. We'll see you next time.